And so just before I, I read the scripture this morning, let me just say, God's word is alive. It is eternal. And this is not just a historic account, you know, for academic interest. This is not, you know, let's just read this out of curiosity. No, when you read the Bible, you have to open it up and say, this is my story. This is our story. And we look into God's word and we're looking into a mirror. And if you want your time looking into the Bible to come alive, approach it by saying, this is for me. So that being said, let's stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Stand if you can. Judges chapter 11. Now Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. He was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also had several sons, and when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. You will not get any of our father's inheritance, they said, for you are the son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. At about this time, the Ammonites began their war against Israel. And when the Ammonites attacked, the elders of Gilead sent for Jephthah in the land of Tob. The elders said, come, be our commander. Help us fight the Ammonites. Let's pray. Father, we know there is a real war going on. So let your word come to us in the power of your spirit. Let it find us in our brokenness and make us whole. Let it find us in our dysfunction and heal us. Let it free us from sin that we may worship you in spirit and in truth and experience victory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, you may be seated. So just when you thought things couldn't get worse, am I right? Have you ever been so overwhelmed, so desperate that, that you would do anything? I mean, you went from what was possible to what was impossible, and now you are considering the unthinkable. So here's Jephthah, no control over who his parents were. It's not his fault, right? He's illegitimate. He's got a stigma. He's a walking scandal, and so there's that. And then he gets kicked out by his own brothers, his half-brothers. I mean, he was, you know, an outcast anyway, never accepted. But now he's homeless and penniless, and he moves to Tob. And he starts a gang. Worthless rebels start following him. I like how the NIV describes them as scoundrels. Now, Jephthah didn't join the gang. These scoundrels just started following him and tagging along. Jephthah and his gang of scoundrels. And so this morning, we're all going to join the, the gang of worthless rebels and scoundrels so that we can learn some lessons from the sons of anarchy. Just a, a little PSA here. There's an actual show called The Sons of Anarchy. And this, this discussion this morning is not about that TV show. So please don't go home and like binge watch Sons of Anarchy, which has, you know, God knows what in that show. And then tell your family, well, it was homework from church. Okay, that's, that's not what I'm talking about here. <sighs> Help us, Lord. It says in verse 4 that the Ammonites began a war against Israel. Why? I mean, what's the setup here? What's the backstory? And if you asked the king of Ammon, he would say, this is a land dispute. But we know that everything that is visible begins in the invisible. Everything that is seen has its roots in the unseen, the physical material world, 
economies, geopolitics, the behaviors and interrelationships between people are manifestations of the deeper reality of the spiritual dimension. So let's back up to chapter 10, take a deeper look. Verse 6, again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They served the images of Baal and Ashtoreth and the gods of Aram and Sidon and Moab and Ammon and Philistia. They abandoned the Lord and no longer served him at all. So let's stop here. Here it is. This is the full extent of the spiritual rot at the core of all of these problems. As if putting anything before God wasn't bad enough. Here we see the litany. It's a laundry list of all the pagan gods that they have run after. And it says, they abandoned the Lord and no longer served him at all. And in that one sentence encapsulated, we see that loyalty to God is synonymous with service to God. And people became so consumed running after the false promises of powerless idols that promised them everything that they wanted that they no longer had any time for the one true God who was all that they would ever need. And anytime you see in the Bible stories about Israel, you know, doing what's evil and serving idols, you know daddy is on his way with judgment, right? Have you ever watched the news and just like wondered, why? Like, what is going on? Do you want to know why marriages and families are blowing apart? Here it is. This is it. Just a side note, if you serve idols, and you're going to be doing evil. And if you're doing evil, you are serving idols. Okay, we seem to have this backwards idea of, you know, thinking about people carving weird pictures into stone or idols and bowing down to them. And we turn our civilized noses up and say, oh, these are just ignorant idiots. But we do this. Here's what idolatry is. The exchange of the eternal for the temporary. Putting anything, any person, any desire before Almighty God. And the spiritual adultery was so complete. It was so pervasive. There was absolutely no distinction anymore between God's people and the pagans and the barbarians they were surrounded by. Their culture, their mindset, their priorities, their ideas were completely molded, not by God, but by the society around them. Remember earlier when I said, you know, you approach the Bible by saying, this is for me, this is our story? Yep, okay, so here it is. You know, get out the thermometer, let's take our idolatry temperature, right? Do you blend in with the culture around you? Or do the people at work or at school or in your family, did they see a major difference in the way that you live, in the way that you talk, in the way that you love others, in the way that you forgive, in the standards that you hold to, in the entertainments that you enjoy, in the way that you choose your friends and relationships, in the way that you vote, or the way that you spend your time, or does your life just resemble everybody else's? Our country, the state we live in, our families are sick with idol worship. We exchange God, a relationship with the Almighty One, for other things. We exchange prayer for internet and television. We exchange being dangerous and deadly to the powers of darkness for being tolerant and accepting. 
Anytime you are exchanging your faith in Almighty God, who you can't see, for something that you can see, that's an idol. And God's only going to put up with that for so long. And then we get to verse 7. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to the Philistines and the Ammonites, who began to oppress them that year. For 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites east of the Jordan River in the land of the Amorites, that is in Gilead. The Ammonites also crossed over to the west side of the Jordan and attacked Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim. And the Israelites were in great distress. And finally, they cried out to the Lord for help, saying, we've sinned against you because we've abandoned you as our God, and we've served the images of Baal. I mean, come on now, 18 years, they've been chased down and oppressed and persecuted and hunted. And finally, they wake up and they're like, oh, man, we screwed up. 18 years of tyranny and brutality, finally, to come to their senses and cry out for help from the only one who can save them. And they confess their sin. And we know, you know, we know God, right? I mean, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, right? Let's see how this conversation goes. Verse 11, the Lord replied, Did I not rescue you from the Egyptians and the Amorites and the Ammonites? and the Philistines, and the Sidonians, and the Amalekites, and the Maonites, when they oppressed you, you cried out to me for help, and I rescued you. Yet you have abandoned me and served other gods, so I will not rescue you anymore. Go cry to the gods you have chosen. Let them rescue you in your hour of distress. Whoa! No one can do a burn quite like God right? He's like, because baby, now we got bad blood. You know what used to be mad love. Take a look at what you've done, because baby, now we got bad blood, right? Even Taylor Swift has got nothing on God. Thank you for knowing what I was talking about there. God is saying, look, we have been through this revolving door in our relationship too many times. In spite of all of my faithfulness, in spite of my blessing, you continue to choose to walk away from me and run after all of these things, these other gods, these other loves that you have, and you get caught up doing things they shouldn't do, and then you get in trouble. And then when it really starts to hurt, you cry to me to come and rescue you. And we do it over and over and over again, and I'm done with that. Do you want me for me or just what I can do for you? So this is what you're going to bow to, your career, your friends, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your, your sports, your hobbies, your money. This is what you've been obsessed with, what you ran for direction to. And now you're turning to me because, oh, surprise, they let you down. They failed. They were empty. You don't, you don't want me. You just want to use me. No. Go back to your idols. Go back to your comfort and convenience and popularity and materialism. Go see if they can rescue you. When we pursue things over God, be very afraid. Because he might just give you what you've been asking for. Am I right? How many of you have been there? <laughs> right? Verse 15. But the Israelites pleaded with the Lord and said, we have sinned. Punish us as you see fit. 
only rescue us today from our enemies. And then the Israelites put aside the foreign gods and served the Lord. And he was grieved by their misery. And once again, you know, you see it here, even in their prayer, they're just, they're thinking about right now. They're just thinking about today. They're thinking about the, the immediate problem. They're more afraid of the Ammonites. They're more afraid of their enemies than judgment from God. I mean, call me crazy, but I think I'd rather be hunted down, persecuted and killed and destroyed than to face God's wrath and his eternal judgment. But you see, here's the beautiful piece here. They weren't just talk anymore. You know, I imagine for 18 years they'd been complaining, help us, God. But finally, when they confessed that they are responsible, finally, when they own it, right, we did this. We served idols instead of you. And when they put actions with their words, when they put aside their idols and served the Lord. And it's a pattern for God, isn't it? You start with confession. This is what's true. I messed up. I'm responsible. You alone are God. And you are worthy of worship. And then you put actions behind those words, right? Because faith without works is, help me out, it's dead. And they, they put them aside. Another version says they, they got rid of their idols. You know, uh, some people just put things aside. Listen, don't be hiding stuff around for your kids to pull out later. Get rid of it. Burn it to the ground. They not only confessed their sin and acknowledged God's authority and destroyed their pathetic God substitutes, but they served the Lord. Even when he straight up told them, I'm not going to show up. I am not coming to rescue you. You earned this. They served him anyway. Because if he never rescues us from another problem again, he is still worthy. He is still good. He is still almighty God. And he's worthy of our obedience and our worship. And that is what repentance is. Not just saying, I'm sorry. No, it's turning away from what is wrong and fully committing to what is right, no matter what. And they repented and they destroyed all the things that were taking his place. And they served him. And he was grieved by their troubles. And daddy comes running. Verse 17, at that time, the armies of Ammon had gathered for war and were camped in Gilead. And the people of Israel assembled and camped at Mitzpah. And you know, I think it's interesting to note when it says the Israelites put away all of the false idols, the very next verse says the enemy rolls in to engage in a full-on war. Just when you start trying to get it right right? Just when you start putting God first in your life, everything gets worse, right? Nothing will stir up Satan and all the powers of darkness against you like a display of true repentance, like a full commitment and devotion to worship God and to put him first. Because hell is scared when you worship. Demons freak out when you get down on your knees and pour your heart out to God. Principalities and powers that held your life in bondage are threatened when you just lift your hands in worship because when you simply surrender all things to God, they know the clock is ticking on their reign of terror. Praise the Lord. Because it's just a matter of time now. He might roll in and put on a big show of force, but don't you be afraid like the elders of Gilead. 
because God's got this. Verse 18, the leaders of Gilead said to each other, whoever attacks the Ammonites first will become the ruler over the people of Gilead. And so, so here's where the story kind of focuses in on a violent cartel leader named Jephthah, okay? He's a cutthroat. He's an outlaw. He is a son of anarchy, the president of the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club. He's got blood on his hands, and if it's illegal or if it's immoral, he and his gang of scoundrels excel at it. Dirty deeds done dirt cheap. These are these guys, okay? This ruthless man is about to become an unlikely hero in a generation of failures. Jephthah was the son of a prostitute. And it's not clear whether or not he ever knew his mother, but evidently his father claimed responsibility and he takes him in. And his father's married and he has other children, his half-brothers. And it says when they grew up, they evicted him from the property. Look, whenever you see misdirected anger, you can just bet it's a cover for something else, right? His brothers are blaming him for the one thing in his life over which he has no control. Instead of directing their anger and their disappointment, right, at their dad, Charlie Sheen, who's partying it up with hookers, they take it out on him. And, and in this case, their self-righteous anger, it, it's, it's a cover, isn't it? It's a cover for greed. And, you know, people do this all the time. And you know what? If we're honest, haven't we all lashed out in anger at someone who just, they were in the wrong place or, you know what I mean? They didn't deserve it. And where was dad in all of this? I mean, had he become just weak and passive about his own son after he took a wife and began a family? Or, or maybe he, he had died when they grew up. And the, this dispute rose up because now they're trying to divvy up the inheritance. And I can't tell you how many stories I've heard about families. Blood relatives throwing away the, all their relationships over stuff when somebody dies. You know, it, you know it's true because you've heard it too. His brothers make it clear that he will not share in the inheritance, and, and he's no longer welcome. So they gather up the elders, and they evict him. Jephthah is rejected by the only family he has ever known. And that rejection, that pain, that orphan spirit, it drives him all the way to Tob, the Oakland, okay, the Chicago, the, the Brooklyn of the Bible, okay? And he surrounds himself with another family of scoundrels and swindlers and killers, and he becomes the leader of the pack, the kingpin, of the Israeli underworld. Now, meanwhile, desperation has birthed a revival among God's people. Unfortunately, though, the elders of Gilead, they have no faith that God will respond. They have no expectation of deliverance from heaven. And instead of trusting God to raise up some leader, they figure we're gonna go look for the most ruthless, violent man we can think of, somebody who's worse than the Ammonites to put in charge of the men to do the ugly business of war. So, so let's be clear here for a minute. Uh, in contrast to people like Gideon or Samson or all the other judges or the leaders or the kings in the history of Israel, Jephthah was not chosen by God. No messenger, no angel appeared to him. There was no vision or prophecy or experience here. Just, just a bunch of scared, faithless elders. The very ones, by the way, who had forced him off of his father's property and away from his family. So the irony is rich here, and Jephthah knows it. But you know, I'd just like to point out here that the very thing that you thought was the biggest problem in your life is actually what equipped you with the skills to deal with your destiny. 
I'm going to say that again because I don't think some of you got it. The very thing that you thought was the biggest problem in your life is the very thing that has given you the skills that God is going to use for you to handle the destiny he has for your life. I want you to think about what that is for you, that big issue, that thing that you catch yourself thinking about and saying, man, if only this was different, everything would be better. That, that thing, that's what God is going to use to equip you to handle the destiny he is putting before you. So let's not, let's not misconstrue this. God did not inspire Jephthah's daddy to have sex with a prostitute. No, he did not make his brothers reject him and kick him out. But God knew that they would do those things, and he used it because God is the ultimate MacGyver, okay? He's going to use whatever you throw at him to destroy the enemy. The dysfunction and the rejection that drove him to become a fighter and a criminal mind, that pain that drove him to learn how to take people apart was now going to be used by God to deliver his people. It was going to be the very thing that secured his acceptance. Victory comes when your heart and your desires align with God's heart and his will and his purpose for his people. Jephthah wants to win because he wants to be accepted. He wants to be loved and valued. And God wants to win because he wants to show his faithful love to his people. But there's a question of trust. And you know, one of the things that I like about Jephthah is he's not afraid to confront. He's not afraid of hard conversations. You know, people who just sweep things under the rug and they'll do anything to avoid confrontation, are just, you're just lying to yourself. You are not avoiding conflict. You are just delaying it. And when you bottle things up, when you pretend that problems in relationships just don't exist, you are just storing it up for a bigger blowout later on. Hiding behind masks and tiptoeing around on eggshells, that is not truthful and it is not loving. And Jephthah is not afraid to bring up the past and talk about it. He said to them, you know, you guys look familiar to me. Let, let, let me think. No, stop for a minute. Let, let, uh, oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Aren't you the ones who hated me and drove me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Good question. Hello. These are the same people who said, get out of here. You'll never be one of us. Now they're crawling back. Huh. These elders were supposed to be men of wisdom. They're supposed to be men of experience, reasoned and seasoned by life, able to offer a steady guidance to troubled families, spiritual pillars, men to look up to, men who would lead, the very men who self-righteously kicked him out of his father's house. They were sick with spiritual adultery and idolatry. They had failed their tribe. They had failed their nation. They had failed God. And they had failed a young Jephthah in a crisis when all he needed was some men to look up to. Verse 8. Because we need you, the elders replied. If you lead us in battle against the Ammonites, we will make you ruler over all the people of Gilead. We need you. How do you like that, right? Have you ever been in a situation where somebody rejected you? A friend, a family member, somebody was making fun of you, insulted you because you have faith, and then comes the crisis in their life. 
And then what happens? What do they, who, who do they come to? Will you pray for me? Right? They want you to go to war for them. And you're going to do it just like Jephthah does. Years later, I mean years earlier, see, these guys thought that young men like Jephthah, this was, the, this was what's wrong with society. Guys like little Jephthah here. Kids like him are, are the problem. But now a bigger problem has rolled in, right? The Ammonites were a problem that threatened to annihilate the entire society. You see, there comes a point at your life in which you realize that the things that you thought were problems were really not the problems at all. The real problems are not external. The real problems are internal. And that's what we learned back in chapter 10, isn't it? The root of the problem here was spiritual adultery. The real problem is an unfaithful heart that forsakes God. Because you see, once the repentance kicked in, once God got involved, even the Ammonites, are, they're not a problem for him. Because with God, all things are possible. And the elders off, offer Jephthah the acceptance that he's longed for all of his life. But the trust's been broken. He makes them repeat the offer. Jephthah said to the elders, so let me get this straight. If I come with you and the Lord gives me victory over the Ammonites, will you really make me ruler over all the people? The Lord is our witness, the elders replied. We promise to do whatever you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him their ruler and commander of the army at Mitzpah. In the presence of the Lord, Jephthah repeated what he said to the elders. At that time, the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. And he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mitzpah and Gilead. And from there, he led an army against the Ammonites. This is so awesome. This is like mind-blowing stuff here. I mean, can you imagine President Donald Trump like pardoning the leader of MS-13 and then making him chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? And, and then it says that the Spirit of God came upon him. It's beautiful. Because he, he wasn't picked by God. But you know, God does choose not only to use Jephthah, but to put his Holy Spirit on him. And Jephthah teaches us that your past is not a deterrent to God. Your dysfunction is not a deterrent to him. God is not anointing your skill. He's not anointing your pedigree or your knowledge or your education. God just anoints the willing and the available. Praise God. Because he will be faithful to his promise. Because he says in John, Jesus does in John chapter 6, all those who the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory, and he crushed the Ammonites devastating about 20 towns from Arawer to an area near Minith as far away as Abel Karamim. In this way, Israel defeated the Ammonites. The Spirit of God did not come on him to be a prophet or a preacher or a healer. The Spirit of the Lord came on him to go to war. 
And the spirit of the Lord has an anointing for you too. And it is an anointing to go to war, to empower you to fulfill the task that he has set you apart to do, to enhance the skills that you have learned. And there's gonna be a boldness and there's gonna be a conviction in everything that you set your hand to do because you know that the spirit of the Lord is upon you and you're gonna be able to confront the real enemy and you're gonna experience victory for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against rulers and against authorities and against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. And the very things that have people that you know enslaved and oppressed and fearful, you will challenge head on and you're gonna win. It's not by might and it's not by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. And if I wanted to preach a message, you know, with everybody high-fiving each other in the parking lot, I would stop it right here. (laughs) But the son of anarchy has another important lesson to teach us. You see, even though he experienced the touch of the Holy Spirit, and even though he experienced a great victory over the pagans who were attacking his country, Jephthah failed to overcome the pagan within himself. Remember when I said that the real problems are not external. See, the real problems are in here. But let's let's not shortchange him, right? No, Jephthah was willing. You see, he was available. He had faith. He led God's people. God Almighty makes sure that his name shows up in Hebrews chapter 11. He had an anointing, but he didn't know God's word, and he didn't know God's character, and he had the mindset of a pagan culture. Verse 30, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, and he said, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Did God ask him to do that? God required no vow from him. God was, just, God was just being faithful. God was being God. He was being good. He saw his people repenting and serving him, and he was moving, and he was responding, but Jephthah was interjecting his ego and his flesh into the situation. Heads up, you cannot repay God for his goodness to you. Just because you have his spirit does not mean you are being led by his spirit. Your efforts, your sacrifices are not going to give you bargaining chips with God. Does not work like that. He will not be bribed. Oh God, if you just get me out of this problem, then I will fill in the blank. It, It doesn't work like that. God did not come looking for you so that he could get something from you that he needed. This is why when we pray, we say in Jesus' name or for Jesus' sake, because it's not about our sacrifices. It's not about our works that God has moved to intercede. It's not about something that you're going to do, but because of what Jesus has already done for you. And when Jephthah returned home to Mitzvah, his daughter came out to meet him playing on a tambourine, dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. 
He had no other sons or daughters. And when he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out. You've completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me, for I've made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. And she said, Father, if you made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me what you have vowed. For the Lord has given you a great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. But first, let me go into the hills and weep with my friends for two months because I will die a virgin. You may go, Jephthah said. And he sent her away for two months. And she and her friends, they went up into the hills and, and wept because she would never have children. And when she returned home, her father kept the vow he made and she died a virgin. That is awful. And, in, and just in case you were wondering, if you didn't come across this story before, way back in Deuteronomy, remember the deliverance of the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt. We got Moses here, Deuteronomy chapter 12. Through Moses, God expressly prohibits his people from imitating the pagan practices of the idol worshipers, and he forbids human sacrifice. This is the problem when we don't know God's word. This is the problem when we have our mindset molded by the culture and not by God's holiness. And so tragically, this girl loses her life, loses her dreams of becoming a wife and a mommy. Jephthah's trapped by his foolish pride and his ego. His pagan mindset cost him the only family member he had, the only person that loved him unconditionally and never rejected him, his precious daughter his only child. And if Jephthah could be here with us this morning, he would tell you with a voice shattered by pain, put away your pride before you hurt somebody worse than the way you've been hurt. Humble yourself before God. Turn away from the idols and the ways of the culture and remember that our God is holy and you cannot worship him like a pagan, but only in spirit and in truth. Stop trying to impress God and let God impress you with his unfailing love. And friends, we need to ask ourselves, what will die if I insist on doing things the world's way? You see, everybody loses here now in this situation. Everybody loses when you act out in pride. And the result here for Jephthah, no future, no children, no family, no participation in the lineage of Messiah. Without fail, every single one of the worst regrets in my life are the result of my own selfishness, demanding my way, putting my desires before others. When we make decisions playing by the rules of the world, we lose every time. At the casino, house always wins. It's not worth risking what God has entrusted to us. Jephthah 
had been betrayed by his own family because of this stuff, because of the pride of his brothers, and because he failed to control the pride within himself. He winds up betraying the little girl who loved him the most. I want to talk here for a moment about his daughter. Instead of, instead of running away, you know, just to live as a refugee in some other country and never coming back, no. This girl regarded it as a more serious evil to lie to God than to lose her life. Think about that. Everyone in Israel experienced a mighty deliverance of God. Everyone except her. She gets left out. Snuffed out by the one person she adored the most. I believe God saw this girl. I believe God is moved by her grace. Some of you, some of you are here this morning and you believe in God and you've seen or you've heard people rejoice in his answers to prayer and his provision, but it always seems like it's somebody else and you're afraid that you're going to be left out. Hear the words of Jesus in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. And when I think of the way my little girl puts her hand in mine, the way she wraps her arms around my neck when I come home, the way she wants me to stand by her bed at night and, and talk to me until she falls asleep, she, she trusts me. She loves me. And I know that I'm modeling for her what a man should be like. Good or bad, right or wrong, my every example is making a profound impression on her life. I will always be her daddy, and I want to be a good one. It's the kids, isn't it? You know what? While we grown-ups are making our choices, it's the kids who get stuck with the consequences of selfishness. So many kids are hurting today. And some of you have been hurt by the foolish decisions of somebody else, a parent, a spouse, a family member who made a choice and they left you holding the consequences. And the pain is intensified by the fact that the person who caused it should have been the one who prevented it in the first place. But I want you to know that Jesus is there too. And he knows. Because that's exactly what happened to him. Though he was innocent, though he was faultless, our foolish choices, our Canaanite ways, our sins meant the death of his body. And in the very worst of betrayals and the tragedies that can happen in this life, Jesus is there too. When it's not fair, when it's not your fault, we are not alone. If we will trust him with our pain, he will take even that and transform it into victory. And the Apostle Paul reminds us there is a fellowship with Christ in our suffering. There is an intimacy with Jesus because he is a man of sorrow. And he is acquainted with our grief. And there are things that Jesus wants to show you that you will only see through your tears. 
The life of this girl was taken from her because the promise of her father connected sacrifice to the victory for Israel over the Ammonites. But in eternity, she ran to the arms of Jesus, the only son of God who willingly laid down his life because the promise of his father to secure eternal victory for every child of God over all the powers of sin and evil and even death itself. Because even in death, there is victory because of Jesus. And today, he invites you to experience eternal victory that was secured for you by him at the cross. If your heart is beating, your fate is not sealed. You can humble yourself. You can repent. You can cry out for forgiveness and receive grace from God and not be rejected. You don't have to go on another day wrestling with your past. You don't have to live under the weight of sin. You don't have to resign yourself to a destiny in hell separated from God. Today, freedom, salvation, hope, joy, heaven can begin in you because of Jesus. So let's stand on our feet and thank him and thank God for his victory in our life.